The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Yeah, Tammy was just a little bit excited um, about a VBS. I saw the graphic. I, I'm not going to preview it. If you saw Facebook, um, the graphic is on it, and uh, the rocket ship is pretty awesome. Some of y'all were like, what is that? Um, they're blasting off tomorrow, so I'm excited about VBS. I'm excited about what's going to happen in this room, and yes, we are praying for parents. We're praying for kids. We're praying for our volunteers because I'm, I'm just, I'm believing, and I'm expecting just major salvations to happen in our kids this week, man, and and. I just, the verse that keeps coming to my mind as I pray is, is the, the prophecy of Jesus and a child shall lead them. And I just, I'm just looking forward to our community just seeing revival because our children will lead parents back to the goodness and the grace of God and the forgiveness and the repentance that comes through Christ. So um, be praying. If you're not serving or if you're not, if you're not coming or anything, then just commit to be praying this week. And be praying for, for all of that to happen. Be praying for God's grace. Be praying for salvations. And pray against the enemy. Because, man, he's already been attacking this morning. And it's just been crazy in here. I um, also want to thank everybody for being at Agape Thursday night. That was so fun. Um, I want to apologize for the size of the hamburgers. I heard they were a little too small. Um, <laughs> those of you who were there know I'm lying. I'm joking. They were half-pound patties. I mean, and these, these things were the size of my head. I think uh, James, our youth director we commissioned a couple weeks ago, we were like, hey, James, guess what? We've got a teaching opportunity for you. So he got to teach the message at Agape, and he did a wonderful job, but he called them face-sized hamburgers. So um, we are doing the meals all month, and so uh, this last Thursday, there was plenty of help because there were two other churches that came to help us, um, but for the rest of the, the, rest of the month, um, we're kind of on our own. We call it yo-yo around our house. You're on your own. And so uh, if, you get, if you didn't get to make it last Thursday, then you can sign up. Let us know you're coming so we know how to plan for you. And we would love to have your help. If you're not helping with VBS or involved with that, we would love to have you at Agape. We've got a lot of things going on. So uh, it's an exciting time. But I'm excited you're here. If you got your Bible, uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans. We're going back to Romans. We finished the Y series last week. And we're going to pick up with a new series in the book of Romans. We've been working through verse by verse, and, and honestly, I love doing the series to do some housekeeping things, deal with some baggage, but I love teaching through books of the Bible um, because it helps keep us accountable to the context of Scripture, and it helps us really understand what's going on in the, in the whole story um, because we can't just take one verse and say, I want just this one piece and neglect the rest of the context. We have a responsibility to the Word of God um, to fully submit to the entire Word of God. So Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some Bibles on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, write your name in that. That's our gift to you. Uh, while you're going there, you're going to go to two places, uh, Romans 9 and then Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy is going to be in the Old Testament. It's going to be back where the pages of your Bible are still stuck together, you know, because it's not one you really go to often. <clears throat> but... Um, Romans 9 and um, Deuteronomy 7. We'll, we'll be in Romans 9 first. But it's interesting. I've got to catch you up because we took six weeks of a break um, to go through our Y series. And so uh, really Romans 1 through 8 really deals with justification by faith. There is no other way under heaven by which we can be saved. And there's not works. It's not, um, it's not where we're born. And we're going to look at today with the nation of Israel and understand that, that it's not even the nation that we're born into. 
It only comes by faith. And Paul sets up this argument beautifully. He's writing to the Christians in Rome, the first century Christians in Rome. And there was, there was people that had come to Christ in different ways and that they had put their faith and their hope in Jesus as Lord and Savior and recognized him as the Messiah um, through several different avenues. Uh, kind of where this catalyst started, you have to go back to Acts chapter 2. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up and proclaimed the gospel in Jerusalem, we're told in Acts 2 that there were God-fearing Jews from all nations. And so what happened is, you've got people coming into Jerusalem for the festival, and then they hear the gospel, they go back home. And what happens with the gospel, you know, we think we understand what viral videos are today. In the first century, the gospel went viral without any type of internet and it started to spread throughout the known world. And so it ends up in Rome. And so Paul's helping the church in Rome understand some things because it's easy for us. Our human tendency is to default back into this mode of a list. Of, of You may have grown up in a church where you called it legalism. Um, but we like the list. God, if you'll just give me this checklist and I will follow these rules so you will bless me. We get into this transactional relationship with God, and God said, that's not where I want you. That's not where my blessing is with you. I'm not a transactional God. I am a relational God. I mean, everything we celebrate with communion, it's not a transaction. The transaction that happened was our death was paid for by Jesus, and he, the transaction is he imparted and imputed righteousness to us. So we transacted, we traded our sin for righteousness. We traded death for life. That's the only transaction. But God says, when, we, when I deal with you, it's not transactional, it's relational. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And so Paul's helping these, the, the, these early Christians understand this because it's easy to, to say, I want Jesus, but I want my old life and I want to kind of mix them together. And that doesn't happen. Jesus says, I, I want it all. And I want to be Lord of all or not at all. And so Paul's helping us understand our position in Christ. And in Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful chapters in the book. He talks about this life in the spirit. And it's interesting to me that he doesn't just go from Romans 8 with this, this life in the spirit and the joy that happens and all the, all the doctrinal rich teaching that deals with that that he should jump to chapter 12 and get into the practical application. Because when I, when, I, when I track through Romans, you think, okay, you just dealt with this heavy doctrinal analysis. Now we should apply it. I'm, I'm reading a book right now about how to be a better preacher. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I wasn't good to start with. So maybe I'm reading a book to be a good preacher. But he, he talks about this idea of... of exegeting, which means basically breaking down the passage to understand what it meant there and then. And I've explained this to you. You've got to understand the history and the context of scripture. And then you've got to cross this principalizing bridge to say, what does it mean here and now? And, and you would think that Paul, man, he was a great preacher. He was a great speaker. And so you would think he would go from the doctrine of Romans 8, the application, but he takes this detour in chapters 9 through 11. It seems to be a detour talking about the nation of Israel. And what's interesting is it's, as you study and you get into the context of it, it's not a detour at all. Here, here's what I've learned. Um, 
This is necessary for Paul making this argument that we're justified by faith alone. Because he's going to explain God's plan. And that's why we call this perfect by design. That God, and you heard Pastor Tammy share the scripture with you. God has had a perfect plan since the foundation of the world. God does not take detours. Now when we think about planning, um, it was Eisenhower that said, when it comes to battle, I love to have a plan so that when I get on the battlefield, I have something to change. I mean, a lot of us kind of undervalue this idea of planning, and planning is important. But we tend to get into our plans, and we start thinking, you know, okay, this is what I want to see happen. I'm a planner. I'm, I, I love controlling the, the outcomes. I like knowing, and, and I like predictability, and I like, okay, this is what's going to happen. I've planned for this. Here are the contingencies, and I've planned for the contingencies. I mean, when we do the church plan for the year, our, our staff gets a little bit overwhelmed by me because I'm like, okay, we need the plan. We need a contingency for this. We need a contingency for this. And what's the plan for the contingencies? And then what's the contingency for the contingency because I love planning and let me tell you something every year we get into that planning and we're like okay plans out the window where's roll your sleeve let's go man it's all hands on deck we got a lot of stuff to do but planning is important God has had a perfect plan from the beginning of the the world before he laid the foundations of the world he knew what was going to happen. And even through Israel's disobedience, that plan was perfectly executed. Because you're going to see this idea uh, in 9 through 11 that God is sovereign. That God is on his throne. That he is fully in control. Our disobedience or our obedience does not determine the outcome of God's faithfulness. And it does not determine the outcome of God's control. Because Paul's going to pose some arguments uh, coming up in this, uh, in the next three chapters. Um, Romans 9 is going to deal with this idea of God choosing Israel that we're going to look at today. And honestly, we're going to take a couple weeks in Romans chapter 9 because it's, it's again, it's one of those very deep, rich books. Uh, Romans chapter 10 deals with Israel's rejection. And then 11 deals with Israel's future restoration. Israel's the only nation on earth that has a complete history. I mean, we look, at, we look at our nations, and we can look back in history and see the history of empires and, and nations, but Israel is the only nation that from the foundation of the world, God had a full history associated with that nation. And we're going to be in verse 1 through 5 because Paul's laying out the reality of the nation of Israel. He's given kind of a state of spiritual affairs for the nation of Israel. So Romans chapter 9, verse 5, let me read the, verse 1, let me read this to you. Um, I am speaking the truth in Christ. This is Paul writing. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness it with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So what Paul's saying here, let me, let me kind of help break this down. When Paul says, in the flesh, Paul is a Jew. He is born a Jew. The nation of Israel, the Israelites, are the Jewish people. And, and Paul's saying... 
I have great sorrow because they are accursed and cut off from Christ. And, and if I could, I could wish, is what it's literally translated, I could wish that I myself would be cut off from Christ for my countrymen to be saved. And then he says, my countrymen, this is what the reality is for the nation that I am kin to, that they have been given the adoption, they have been given the patriarchs, the covenants, the worship, the law. And even my nation, through the flesh, through the DNA of my nationality, has come to Christ, who is God. And so Paul, he's unpacking an incredible amount in this first paragraph. The first thing that that he's he's, he's helping understand, and I think, you know, God doesn't take detours, but I think we need to take a detour through Israel so we have an understanding because a lot of us come to Scripture and we like the New Testament, but we think the Old Testament is just too hard to understand. We think, okay, so what's going on? I mean, okay, in the beginning, I mean, we can get through Genesis pretty well when we do the Bible in 90 days. You know, Genesis is a pretty exciting book. It gets a little crazy. Not a little, it gets a lot crazy when you start getting into the later chapters of Genesis. And then, then you get into to Exodus. You're like, okay, I've seen movies about this. Okay, I can kind of track with Exodus. Okay, so what about the law and all this? But then when you get into <laughs> Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and then you get into the, uh, the prophets, and then you get into the historical accounts, you start thinking, okay, wait, what, what, what goes where? Let, let me help you in a brief, give it some brevity, so when you understand the Old Testament, when you read the under te- Old Testament, you understand that it is about the, the Christ coming through the nation of Israel. It is about Jesus. Everything, every scripture is about Jesus. And when we read the Old Testament, we see that God has set apart a nation called Israel. And we see how God comes into, comes into the scene and comes into the picture and, and that Israel is God's chosen people. Now, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let me, let me read this. Unstick your pages and go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and go to verse 6. If you're not sure where Deuteronomy is, you can use the table of contents. I had to because I got a new large print Bible a couple months ago. So the page numbers have changed. They are larger, though, so I can read them. For you, are, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants, and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. So God is, he's pulling out Israel to be set apart. He says, I didn't choose you because you were great. I didn't choose you because of what you could do for me. I chose you because of what I can do through you. 
And, and you see in the Old Testament that there, there are enemies after enemies that rise up against Israel. And the underdog Israel, through the power of God, sees victory. It's another teaching for another time when God says, I repay them to their face. We see evil in our society and we're like, God, why don't you do something about this? And God says, I'd rather deal with this face to face. I would much rather be in grace than God in my face, man. I'm just saying, that's just going to be something for the future. But Israel is God's chosen people. And we get this idea that you will see called election and sovereignty, that God chose them. And God has set apart a nation for himself. And then he gave them the covenants. Um, when, when Paul says that Israel has the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises, and the patriarchs, and ultimately Jesus. Uh, let's talk about these covenants for a second. And you'll kind of see how they track along with the nation of Israel. The first covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. And this is when God spoke to Father Abraham. You know, if you grew up in church, in children's church, remember Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise Lord, right arm, you start doing that. I have no idea what the theological significance of that is, but uh, I remembered it. Um, it uh, just gets crazy. That, that's like the first Christian mosh pit, I think, um, in, uh, in history. But uh, the Abrahamic covenant is God comes to Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm going to call you out of your father's household. Now, to understand what he's being called out of, in ancient, and, and put on your history hat. For you head people, this is awesome. You're like, <laughs> for your heart people, are like, let's get to something I can feel. Um, to understand the, the household that God was calling Abram out of, um, the ancient Mesopotamian society was very polytheistic, meaning that there was a God for everything. There was the harvest God, the sun God, the moon God, fertility God, the rain God. And the common belief of the day was that these gods were angry and that we had to appease them. And here God steps in and he calls Abram. He says, I'm calling you out of that system. I am the one true God. There is no other God but me. And Abraham, I, I am not angry. I desire to bless you. And through this covenant that I make with you, you're going to bear a son. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your offspring will be as great as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Abraham, I am making a nation out of you that I will reveal myself and my plan of salvation to all mankind. What an incredible covenant. That covenant would ultimately bless you and I. And then as it tracks along, and see, God doesn't abolish former covenants. He's adding on. And so the next one we have is the Mosaic Covenant. You might have heard this if you study it. It's the Sinai Covenant because on Mount Sinai when Moses went up, we talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, on misguided worship when Moses was talking with God on the mountain and, and the people below developed, the, they, they formed the golden calf and began worshiping that. Well, while Moses was on the mountain, God was giving him a law. The covenant was centered around his divine law and everything, it's the Ten Commandments that you get out of the Mosaic Covenant. And it was a law that would say, I'm calling you, my people, to holiness. And here's the parameters of holiness. 
And the beauty of it is God knew what he was doing. The beauty of God's plan is it's perfect. He knew that we would not be able to keep all of the tenets of the law. But that's a covenant we'll get to in a second. Um, the next covenant was the Davidic covenant, King David. You know, King David killed him a bear and killed him a lion, killed Goliath, rose to the throne of Israel, greatest king in Israel's history, was a man after God's own heart. Yes, he was a mess, but he was a man after God's own heart. And the covenant that God made with, with David was that your descendants will be established on the throne. And through the line of David, through the house of David, shall be born the Messiah. So Jesus, when he was born and laid in a manger, had a rightful claim to the throne of Israel. But he says, I ain't messing with the little thrones. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, and I have a throne that is much greater than David's throne. And so these covenants were given to the nation of Israel. These promises that God made so he could set them apart. Why did God set them apart? I, I, it, it's so all nations can see what true worship is to look like. It's so that all nations could see that there is one true God and see that we are called to worship him and it's for us to see God and know God. Because just like in the ancient Mesopotamian society, there were all these gods and the thought was that they're angry and they have to be appeased. We, we tend to fall into that in our society. I mean, we put all these, all these things in front of God, and God has a word for it in his law. It's called idolatry. And he says, you put this before me. I mean, you look at us. I mean, success is a, is a God that we put before the one true God. Money, relationships other than a true worshiping relationship with our creator. And God's, my covenant stays the same. I'm calling you out of that system. I'm calling you to leave your father and your mother and come into the system and the land that I will show you so that I can bless you. And it's just beautiful. Even through Israel, even through the nation of Israel, God was preaching the gospel. In Galatians 3.8 says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Gentiles are you and I. Those born outside of the nation of Israel preached the gospel before him to who? Abraham, saying, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. So God set Israel apart from all of the other nations. And through Israel would come salvation for all people, who is Jesus the Messiah, which gets us to a new covenant, the covenant of grace. And that's what Paul is trying to really teach through in Romans. That you are not justified by your ability or you, your, your perceived ability to follow the law. You are justified by faith. When Paul started out the book of Romans, this letter, he said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it's going to go first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So first to the nation of Israel, then to us. So we've got to understand that in context of scripture so we can then understand this idea of God's sovereignty and this idea that God is on his throne. He has a perfect plan and it is perfect by design. And then, then the next thing that, that Paul points out in this when he's speaking of his nation, his kinsmen, is that Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Well, where does, it, where does it say this in those five verses, Matt? It doesn't say that Israel rejected Jesus. He said, I wish, if I could, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for your sake. 
And you've got to understand what he is implying, that they are cut off from Christ. Israel felt a privilege in their position with God, that, that we are chosen by God, that we are set apart, we are holiness. And, and they were disobedient to it. The, the Old Testament, it's like, a, it's like a, a bad relationship that just keeps cycling around. That God is faithful and true, and Israel is like, God, we love you, we follow you. I mean, the people of Israel, even before Moses read the law, they said, we're in. He is God, and we're going to follow everything that God says. And then what do you have happen? They just, oh, we just turned our back. When you go through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and it's talking about all the kings of Israel, you, it starts out this way. This king did wise in the eyes of the Lord. And then you'll see, this king did not do wise in the eyes of the Lord. And so you've got this cycle of this relationship of Israel constantly turning from God, getting into trouble, and then turning back to God. And then when things start going well, they turn from God, and they start pursuing their own interests. They get in trouble. They go into captivity, and then they turn back to God. Oh, God, have mercy on us. When Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was in captivity. They were under Roman rule. And Paul's saying, you've rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, you think about it. We, we tend to think, God, if you would just show me in a way that, that is just sure, then I will follow you with everything I got. Okay, you've got the nation who was able to pass down the tradition of, hey, when our ancestors were walking through the desert, there was a fire at night that led them, and there was a cloud by day, and there was food, manna, that just appeared from God. When we were in the desert, we were thirsty, and Moses struck his stick on the rock, and that rock became a waterfall, so we drank. We saw the sea parted. You, all the things that, we, that, that were visible, tangible signs of God's presence still doesn't do it, because God calls us to faith and to walk obediently with him in faith. Israel had become so zealous about the law that they even added more. And so many that they miss Jesus. When you see Jesus interacting with the religious people, the Pharisees, um, they had taken the law. And I talked about contingencies and contingencies. They had the law and laws and laws and laws and laws and laws and laws. Over 600 laws. And they become so zealous about it. And God has made it clear through his covenant of grace that the law cannot bring righteousness. The law will not save us. It calls us. The nation of Israel received the law to point them to Christ, to point them to the promise, to point them to everything that was coming. And what Paul's making clear is that salvation and righteousness is attained only through faith in Christ. That our position in a nation doesn't put us in God's grace. It doesn't cause us to be saved or holy or righteousness because of where we're born. Salvation comes no other way. It has to come through Jesus. That's God's perfect plan from the beginning. That when we read scripture, it refers to Jesus as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So before God, before Genesis 1, when God stepped in into nothing and created everything by his word, it was already decided that Jesus would be the sacrifice for our sin to bring us into a relationship with God. And we tend to fall into the same thing uh, that the nation of Israel falls into. 
I mean, we live in a very blessed nation. But just because we live in this nation doesn't automatically make us righteous and holy. I think we live in the greatest state in the nation. And just because I'm a Texan doesn't make me righteous and holy. It's only through Christ. Because here's the enemy in his lie. He wants us to believe that we can attain holiness and righteousness apart from Christ. And it's easy to believe that lie. It is easy to think, well, I'm doing good. I'm a good person. We tend to compare ourselves. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. And when we start to measure our level of righteousness and holiness based on how unholy or unrighteous we think someone else is, (laughs) we've gotten into a dangerous spiral. I mean, a lot of times our tendency is to start getting prideful in our relationship with Jesus and think we're in Jesus when we're outside. And Jesus gave a parable. He said there was, there was a, a religious man, a strong religious man that came into the temple and he walked down to the front and he stood, his chest puffed out and he said, God, I thank you that I am not like these other men. And he's pointing to a man in the back who was humbled and on his face before God And he says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And I can't find anything else outside of you to deal with this. And Jesus asked the question, which one went away justified? It's only when we humble ourselves before the throne of God and we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That literally translates. When that, when that man was beating his chest and saying, I'm a sinner, it's literally translated, God, have mercy on me. I am the sinner. Where he looked at no one else in the world and said, I'm the sinner, God. I'm the one who needs salvation. I'm the one who needs grace. I'm the one who needs mercy. And we stop looking at everything else to justify us. I mean, it's our tendency. Our kids come by it honestly, that when we call our kids to account, they start the excuses. Well, I didn't. Well, she made me. You've heard them all. If you're a parent, you know. Even if you're not a parent, you were a kid, and you were very crafty at making up those excuses. And if you're not a parent, see, right now you're in that phase of life where you get joy out of seeing other kids do that. You're like, (laughs) I'm glad I'm not a parent right now. But we make excuses, and it all comes to a point. When Paul is saying, look, if if we're going to make excuses, our rejection is the same as Israel. We are cut off from Christ, and we are accursed. This grieved Paul to the point where he says, look, I'm being sincere. It's kind of like when you're a kid, like, honestly, I'm not lying. What I'm about to tell you is the God's honest truth. Now, when somebody says that to me, my radar automatically goes up. I'm like, there's a hint of a lie coming because you're asking God to justify something that you're about to tell me. Why don't you just straight up tell me? Just tell me the truth all the time. Then I know, then we're, we're talking truth, right? And Paul, I believe he spoke truth all the time. He was still human. But he says, look, I'm being sincere when I tell you this. 
Not only is my heart being sincere, but the Holy Spirit can testify how sincere I am. Now, I'd be like, no, what's he about to say? He says, I wish, I could wish that I were cut off from Christ if it meant your salvation. What a beautiful picture of Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus, who is God, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God had to turn his back on the sin of man. And Jesus knows what it feels like to be cut off from God. And it was because of that that we have salvation, that we have grace. What a beautiful picture of Paul, the apostle, saying, if I could, if I, if I could bear it like Jesus bore it, I would do it for you. And what a heart for the lost. Do we have that same heart? Do we have that same heart for our family? Do we have that same heart for the people we work with, that we go to school with, that are, that are our neighbors? That we could say, I, I, if, if I could be cut off for you to be saved, I would do it. And Paul knows that, that God says, I'm not cutting you off. And, and God's not cutting us off. But do we have that kind of heart? And so let me ask you this. Are you... Are you willing to sacrifice? If with that heart, are you willing to sacrifice our, your time, your money, your energy, your comfort, your safety to see people come to Jesus? Or, or maybe you're trying to attain the righteousness and the holiness apart from Christ. I, I, I want to challenge you that today's the day that no longer do we try to find holiness and righteousness through anything we do, but we find it through who we are in Christ. Because he is the only way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the history of your word. We thank you that uh, you have such an incredible story from the foundation of the world to even eternity in our future. And we thank you for that detail. And God, we thank you, and we, we do pray for the nation of Israel. You said that we are to pray for the peace of Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that you will prosper those who love her. And so, Father, we, we are, as a part of the body of Christ, and you have chosen us out of death into life by the blood of Christ, that we are holy and set apart because of that and that alone. Father, we pray not just for Israel, but we pray for all nations of this earth to see you. We pray that you give us the heart to go to all those nations and be representatives of the one true God. We thank you for your covenant of grace because you know and you knew in your perfect plan that there's no way we could follow the laws. And I thank you that you gave us the laws to, to continue to point us to your grace. And I pray for your grace this morning. God, I pray that you give us a heart like we see in the Apostle Paul, which is a reflection of the heart of Jesus, who gave up everything to be cut off and accursed so that we could be saved. 
Father, help us to have that same heart for those who are lost. God, if there's anyone in this room that, that has just been living in the exhausting system of trying to attain a holiness and righteousness apart from you, Jesus, I pray that today is the day that their soul finally finds rest and that there's a submission and a humility there's that that bowing of the heart that says, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm the sinner. And I need your grace. I need you to make me righteousness of God. I need you to make me holy. And I put myself in your hands. My past, my present, my future. For you to use me however you need me. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you all. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.